Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Hey, uh, for those of you that are Bulwark Plus members, I want to tell you about something special we are doing tonight, Thursday night, uh, at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central Time. Uh, We're going to be doing another Bulwark Plus exclusive live stream, and it's going to be the team with David Frum. And we are going to be talking about uh, the whole world of... Trump election trutherism and where we go. I think it's going to be a very, very interesting conversation. We are in the midst of uh, some genuinely crazy stuff. So uh, if you are a member of Bulwark Plus uh, or if you sign up between now and, and, and then, you'll be able to participate in this live stream. They've been extremely well received. And we're very much looking forward to uh, look, looking forward to, to that. Um, before and I'll be there and, I'm, yeah. and I, might ha- I might have a drink. Tim Miller, you're going to be doing it. Well, of course, it's easy for you because you're like on, on East Coast time. I mean, on West Coast time. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm just I'm the per, I'm, I'm the appropriate amount, you know, of a drink and a half in usually for these things. While the folks on the East Coast have to calibrate a little better. Yeah, well, no, see, in some ways, they're just all they have to do is like finish up the, the live stream and go to bed because yeah, it's late. Point. You you have a whole day. So. There's a, there's so much going on right now, in, including the, the president's 46 minutes of self-pity, petulance, deceit, and pure bullshit, the, the, the most important presidential address ever. Did you watch it? I did. I, uh, I did. did. I did suffer through it. I, I fast-forwarded it a couple oh, points because it got boring, but it was. Um, I, I felt obligated to watch it actually okay. because it, it's you. You cannot. We cannot let this just live in a world where he's speaking entirely to his, you know, to the to the crazies and to and speak entirely to to the cult members and and have a separate separate stream of facts. I mean, the, there's an obligation of folks to watch the president I, I think when he's spreading this. I, I think you're right, but you're a better person than I am because I, I could not bring myself to to, to watch it. It's it, it, it. There's something still after all this time, just profoundly depressing about realizing that the president of the United States right now is the vector of the most dishonest, toxic conspiracy theory bullshit in America today. I mean, we can make fun of Sidney Powell, which I'm going to do. And, you know, the drunk witnesses that show up with Rudy Giuliani. But this is the president of the United States who is pushing stuff that if somebody would have come into Vladimir Putin's office and said, hey, hey, Vlad, um, we could really F up America's uh, democratic system if we spread this story and this story and this story. Putin would have said, no, that's crazy stuff. Get out of here. And, and he doesn't have to do it because it's it's Trump. OK, so before we get into that, though. I just you need to take a moment to realize where we are at. Twenty four hundred Americans died at Pearl Harbor. Uh, About twenty two thousand nine hundred seventy seven Americans died on 9-11. Yesterday, two thousand eight hundred and eighty five Americans died of the coronavirus. And the president of the United States is still out there in this self-pitying, whining conspiracy theory. He's not doing anything. He's not addressing this. Um, Yesterday, we hit this milestone of 200,000 new cases. 100,000 Americans are hospitalized. The the CDC is saying that that more than 19,000 Americans could die the week of Christmas alone. And by the end of the year, Somewhere between, depending on the range, somewhere between 300,000 and 329,000 Americans will have died from the coronavirus. And half the country, Tim, 
is like going, yeah, well, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm bored. I just, you know, I'm, I just want to get on with it. And Washington's having one Christmas party after another. I'm over it. Yeah, Charlie, yeah. it's, um, I, it's really, it's really dispiriting. And I guess I just start by saying I get it. You know, I, 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 I don't understand the people that are spreading the conspiracy theories, but I understand the fatigue. You know, it's been yeah. it's been a long time. You know, I've got uh, in laws I haven't seen in nine months or whatever who are living too far, uh, you know, on the other side of the country to make it work. And I understand that people get tired of this kind of thing. You know, I get, eventually it wears on you. You try to just it's just human, right? But the fact that but what 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 I don't get is that there just is a complete vacuum of anybody taking a leadership role and trying to rally the country to to say okay we can survive this thing about four more months now that that's actually not fair you have joe biden that's trying to do that but but it's hard from from outside you know for as in this sort of lame duck period for him to do it and and of the people who are actually leaders uh and and again 98.9999 percent of the blame here is on donald trump but you know we've got here in california like gavin newsom and the mayor of san francisco going to the most expensive uh fanciest restaurant for little parties themselves and you know you've got mike pompeo uh who, who weirdly thinks he might be president in 2024 throwing like nine christmas parties in the state who, who are going to these like buffet disgusting christmas parties in the state department by the way um so, you know, across the board, uh, um, that uh, you know, there there is just a complete lack of of saying let, let's call the country to a, a, a bit of shared sacrifice here during this Christmas season, <laughs> right? Like, let's try to mitigate this for three more months because you know, the, in the good news, I, I saw one one estimate yesterday that said we might have fifty million of the uh, of the vaccines out by February. I mean, you know, I mean, and that that goes a long way to. This is to, good. Yeah. To, yeah, it's good. That goes a long way to you know getting as close to actual herd immunity, right? But, but, and we, but we have to get herd. from here to there, you know. Exactly, and, and, and that's and, and not the, that the crazy, long. Yeah, if 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 we can do that now, now of course, like this is there's just so much that's going on right now. And I I, I said yesterday, you, you you I don't know what you've been on Nicole Wallace's show uh, a bunch this week. It feels like you're on every day, but. It's um, just because when I go on, it's hot fire, Charlie. I'm actually not on that much. So no, I, I think and because what that. happens is it goes viral, you know, yeah. and people go, did you get a haircut or is that a ponytail? It's <laughs> a debate that, that, that breaks out. But I think, you know, the next 60 days are the most dangerous days of the Trump presidency because of the distraction, uh, the violation of norms. I mean, there, there's no there's no norm that he won't violate. There's, there's no standard of decency he won't shred. And so, you know, while this crisis is spreading, you know, n- not only is he ignoring it, but but he's going to be just throwing up so much chaff um, and so many outrages that, you know, we're, we're going to wake up at the end of this and go, oh, my God, look at the wreckage that's left behind. And it is it is horrific. I don't yeah, know. What just to- really quick on that, Charlie. Yeah. I, I, the other thing is we've lost, I think maybe because we're out of campaign season and, and, and that people saw this in a campaign frame, which they shouldn't have. But like. We, we've lost, again, the sense of perspective amount about these deaths. I think maybe yeah, the numbers right, are right. getting too big. Right. But, you know, and there's not been a single person in in the Trump administration or in media, all of these, you know, coronavirus truther, like many celebrities like Alex Berenson, like none of these people have had a moment and just said, 
you know, okay, I missed on this one. Like we, like we need to recalibrate our priors on this. Like if you don't, if you remember when I was, I'm sure when I was on this show in April or May, like the standard thought among people who were concerned about this, like Jonathan Last and others who were ringing the bell was like, you know, there could be about 200,000 deaths, right? Which is going to end up being a little low or a bit, quite a bit low. Like the Trumpers, you know, the president, these people were saying that there'd be, you know, well, at first zero, but then once, once, once it took hold, 50,000, oh, it'd be really bad if it was 70,000, you know, and there are going to be four times as many deaths, five times as many deaths as, as like the high end estimates at the beginning of this thing. And, And nobody has, has had a moment where you know like we're about to talk about i i think with the, with gabriel strolling in georgia there's been nobody that stepped back and said wait a minute can we just stop the madness here i mean this is insane like if you would have told somebody in march that in november or excuse me in early december there'd be a day where there was 2800 deaths and people still, are still making a joke of it no th- this is an important point because you know i've been going i know you've gone through this as well we, we we've looked back on a lot of things that we have said and done and went boy you know i was just wrong about that or i really really regret that or what was i thinking when i did this uh, or you re- reread an episode in, in recent history and you go you know i was absolutely on the wrong side of that but you know you know as i pile up all of these regrets i'm trying to imagine what it would be like to think I was on radio or television giving out information that may have led to people dying. I mean, that's a whole different level. I mean, it's one thing to be wrong about politics. It's one thing to be offensive about politics. But there have been people who have put out information on radio, on television, on the Internet that has encouraged people to engage in behavior that has killed thousands of people. And that's not hyperbole. This whole disdain for social distancing, the attacks on the efforts to mitigate this, the the tribalization of masks, this has led people to die. And I will tell you, I, I, I'm I'm really in a period right now where I'm 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 okay with self-flagellation that you know I did this and this is the the damage that it caused. But at least I can't I can look back and think, I don't think I killed anybody. So I'm just imagining what that must be like and why no one's going, hey, you know what? I was wrong. And the only thing that I can do to to make up for that is to is, is to tell you the madness has to stop now. Yeah, there's a, and just and just to la- yeah. lastly on that point, I watched Kaylee yesterday, too. I'm just a glutton for punishment, Charlie. I don't know what happened to me as a child. This is something to, you know, spend some time on in therapy. But um, I, I watched Kaylee yesterday as well. And, you know, she's defiantly talking about how, you know, the liberals are not going to stand in the way of our celebration of Christmas and the celebration of the Christmas season and 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 adamantly and defiantly, um, you know, speaking out at yesterday's press conference about how Christmas will not be slowed down or canceled by the left. It's defiant. And it's, just like, it's it's yeah, it's deranged. It's like, I mean, OK, I. You know, even if I, I guess that there's a, a probably a slightly irresponsible way to think about it, which is like we still want to mark this. We're going to do everything the right way. We're going to, you know, you know, cancel the celebrate the Christmas celebrations, but we'll have some. Uh, you know, it's none of it's not that. It's like this. It's 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 this death cult madness. Like we're going to go on as, as normal, just like Jesus would have wanted. It's crazy. Well, it, you know, it, it it is it is it is crazy, and you know, I mean, I'm like I. I the the fact that I'm not going to be seeing my 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 new granddaughter at Christmas this is a, this is a this is Sucks. a real problem I mean I, I get it. I really get 
I mean, you know, I'm angry about it. I'm disappointed about it. But th this wouldn't be a sign of that it was no tread on me if I decided to get in a, an airplane or a car to go out there and put my family's life at risk. I mean, that that's that mentality is so crazy. So, you know, let me tell you what, I, what I'm wrestling with. I don't know if you, you know it was very early there, but in my newsletter today, I, I write about the Republican Party as the, you know, um, you know, leopard. What, 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 what is the the exact uh, the phrase? The leopards the, eating the faces leopards party. Eating, yeah, the leopards eating people's faces party. Um, it's not like they're going to eat my face. Um, but I also had some thoughts about just, just hopefulness because I realized that. You know, I, 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 you know, so, sometimes I'm on these podcasts or, or on the live streams and, and I'm the voice of optimism, but I find myself really struggling against it. And, and what, what I said was, I, you know, Bill Crystal's got a great essay about, you know, maybe we're going to have a resurgence of liberal democracy and, you know, centrism and decency and stuff. And I really want that to be true, but it's hard to be optimistic because, you know, but what, what I wrote was when I, when I was young, I used to think of hope as this, you know, many colored bird, you know, elusive, but filled with joyful you know, important, right? Now, when when I'm tempted to be hopeful, I, I think of it as like this 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 guy in a hoodie trying to sell me the same cut rate, you know, crack that he conned me into buying last week. I I bought it too many times. I'm I worry I'm getting too cynical about all of this. But you know, hope seems that, oh yeah, it's gonna be this next guy who's not going to break your heart. He's not gonna crush your soul. He's not gonna sell you out. Um, yes, you know, you're going to put your heart and soul into this scenario only to be disappointed. So it's, it's hard, but it, you know, I, I, I had to cite the late Rabbi Sachs, this brilliant man, Jonathan Sachs, who just died way too young within the last month or two. And, and he had an interesting way of looking at this. He said, you know, optimism and hope are not the same thing. Optimism is the belief the world is changing for the better. Hope is the belief that together we can make the world better. So what he's saying is that hope requires courage, that optimism is a passive virtue. Hope is an active one. So I'm not an optimist, but I'm really struggling to get back to hope. Does that yeah. sound like it was on point or a total? Yeah, it's degree? funny, Charlie. I, I haven't. I, I just always get called out if I haven't read the newsletter. I'm, you know, it's. I, I was, I'm trying to get a coffee before I can get on this on the show here this morning, but. Um, uh, I, I was thinking about a similar thing in, in a more um, kind of jokey fashion for the article I'm writing for tomorrow, where there was this uh, one of Obama's fav fav famous lines was um, in the unlikely story of America. There's been there has never been anything false about hope. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how well that one aged. That had a nice ring to it at the time. Um, but I don't know yeah, how that I don't know how well that, you know, I don't know how well that aged. one way. Okay, so um, let, here, here's here's something to be slightly hopeful about is is that the you know the the leopard eating people's faces party is amazingly you know biting people. I I just what what's going on in Georgia is just extraordinary to me. I mean you know Lynn Wood telling Republicans they're not to vote for Kelly Loeffler or David Perdue because they haven't earned your vote. You know, and, and, and then you have, you know, Sidney Powell, who may, may be one of America's worst lawyers, uh, the four dimensional chess of, you know, telling people, you know, own the liberals by not voting. This this thing of staggering genius. She says, I would encourage all Georgians to make it known that you will not vote at all. And thus your vote is secure. She wants a system of signed paper ballots, no Dominion voting machines. So she's basically urging Republicans not to vote in the January 5th runoffs. And now it's occurring to conservatives and Republicans that wait so these face-eating leopards are actually turning on us now. 
like amazing that if you bring cranks and crackpots and grifters and hacks into your inner circle and raise their 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 national profile, bad things could happen, right? I don't know what, what did they, yeah. how did they think this was going to work out? I mean, you know, yeah, it was a big mistake to bring in you know the Lynn Powells and the and 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 the and the Sydney Powells, but what what did you think when you actually? Elected a president who's a crackpot, you know, who's rose to with birtherism, who lied. How did you think this was going to turn out, people? I, I wish that I could share your enjoyable schadenfreude on this in Georgia, but... Um, You're not. I just can't because I, these guys haven't been punished, actually. I mean, the, the leopards haven't eaten their faces yet. Uh, you know, I mean, Trump's face has gotten eaten, and um, sadly, the you know, people have been victims of... You know the virus and et cetera. His faces have gotten eaten, but all all these Republicans got reelected. You know all the rest of them, and um, and and, and I don't. You know I, we'll see um, how uh, you know this sort of debate over you know between the in, the really insane Lynn Wood and Sydney Powell tribe and the just kind of insane Breitbart tribe like turns out. But I, you know I do wonder if. It's really just increasing the attention on this runoff, honestly, among right media folks, and it actually just unbalanced on that helps with turnout. I mean, run, run, runoffs are a pure turnoff out game. So, anyway, I'm sorry to pop your balloon, but I'm no, just no, a you little just, you skeptical. Out, you had a little green shoot of hope there, and you yeah, just snuffed it out. Yeah, man. sorry, I'm just a little skeptical that that David Perdue and Kelly fa- Kelly Leffler's face is going to get eaten by the leopard. But I mean, there is always there is nothing false about there, hope, Charlie. There is there is the hope. See, and, and here is the problem: if if they win, as is likely. Uh, this will be read uh, by the Republicans. The way they've read all of this is that yeah. this works. The crazy works. There's no price to be paid for all of this. And let's go right on to Trump 2024. <laughs> Are you ready for this? Can we talk about that? Can we talk Just, about these quotes at, from 2024? Yeah, 2024. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Um, Josh Hawley. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I know you have a, like a special place in your heart for, for Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. But but isn't Josh Hawley just the most craptacularly creepy member of the Senate right now? Yeah, he attacked me this week, uh, okay. Charlie. Yeah, I've, my my content activations have been great. I got a you know I was my ponytail was attacked by a celebrity and uh, Josh Hawley. Josh Hawley sent this like nonsense tweet at me about how I was making fun of this this sort of notion about all these Republicans from before the election, you know, saying that they were the last no pun intended, bulwark against the Mm -hmm. rising tide of socialism and Marxism in our country if Joe Biden had won the election. And then like now that the election's over and Joe Biden is obviously not a socialist or appointing any socialists to his administration, that the new line of attack is that, you know, it's these woke corporate liberals, (laughs) you know, it's just like, well, wait, why didn't you tell me it was just going to be woke corporate liberals when, when, you know, before the election, that might've, you know, that might've been more appetizing. You know, it's like, Um, and so I, I attacked it's, Holly like 93 that. election because otherwise these corporate liberals. <laughs> right. No, so I'm Holly saying. attacked me over this and said, I don't understand. You know, it was a condescending, I don't have it in front of me, but some condescending thing about how you don't understand that the woke corporate liberals are spreading warmed over Marxism. And it's just like, you're just Janet such Yellen. a phony. It's just all bullshit. Like, what are you even, 
talking about like what like marx is all about this anti-materialism like like there were no woke corporate marxists like that that's just not a thing like you're just spouting buzzwords you well, know that's that, this, this is the thing with, with holly it is like he's got this mad libs of buzzwords and he just sort of scrambles them up you know black lives matter critical race race theory uh you know corporate liberal and he just sort of throws it out because he wants to you know look like one of the kids remember you know that 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 gif have you seen that where the guy is so kids you know this yeah, hello fellow kids <laughs> yeah hello fellow kids it's josh holly you know hello fellow populist elitist hating folk out there let's yeah. talk about i just took my gap animal. year in london at, at the elite saint bart school or whatever the hell school he we went to in london well he's one of the people quoted in this article as saying what a great idea it would be for the Republican Party to be on hold for four years while Donald Trump continues to to spin out his truthism and then give him another four years in power because that would be so great. And Josh Hawley is he's he's there for it. Yeah, I pulled him up here. Um, some of these quotes, because I just think it's worth just really bathing in this. Um, Marco Rubio, I will tell you this. If he runs, I think he would clearly be the favorite. I think he would win. So at least Marco Rubio talking about Donald Trump. Yeah, Donald Trump there. So at least uh, little Marco didn't endorse him um, in the same way that Hawley did. Uh, Hawley said, I I would support him running in 2024, and I think he would be the nominee. Rick Scott, I think it'd be great if he ran. Senator Daines of Montana, if he runs in 24, I support him. Senator Graham, I would personally support him if he did. Senator Blackburn, people in Tennessee are very enthusiastic about a second Trump term. I mean, this is madness, Charlie. This is right now where they're watching him try to steal an election, asking the uh, the Supreme Court to overturn an election while spreading these wild ass conspiracy theories and encouraging speculation about martial law. And at this moment, all these Republicans are going, yeah, this is good. We want more. Sign me up. Sign me up for eight more years of this. Honestly, sign me up for four more years of him at the running at the, as the titular head of the party. And then another four years of him as the president of the United States, like like eight more years of Donald Trump. Like what, like, are they not watching him? I just, I I just, I know that we've been over this again and again, and I know Mm -hmm. these guys aren't models of courage, but the fact that there's not even this, a group of them, and I'm not talking about, you know, we've got the Kinzingers and the Romneys and the Riggleman's and, and good on, good on them. But I mean, the, the folks who, who really have a legitimate chance to take over the party, you know, the sort of soft Trumpists, if you will, like, are they, could they not say that here is our opportunity to make this guy look like a pathetic, whining, lying loser? Like, like before the election, everybody said to me, Trump will be a loser. Everybody will see Trump as a loser afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is the moment. Could you imagine if after Hillary Clinton lost, she had a sad press conference where she was holding up charts, you know, talking about phony dumps, phony massive dumps that that the that Trump kept talking about? Like, like it would have been the saddest thing. All of the own the libs crowd would have just made fun of her relentlessly forever until the grave. And and but yet Donald Trump is doing the most pathetic, embarrassing loser behavior that that you could possibly imagine. And all these guys are going, heck yeah. I mean, this could be their chance to break free from this. I, and not I, I, only I are they doing strategic silence, they're like, sign me up for eight more years. Okay, so let, let me give you my since you crushed my hope before, let me give you a, a slightly more 
well, slightly less dystopian, horrific okay. horror movie version it. of all of this. That that this is basically their way of practicing toddler psychology, which is look, they want to make him stop being crazy. They want to make him not do anything even worse by saying, "Come on, Donald, you can come out. It's going to be okay. We're going to take you to the zoo next week. You know, it's you. You'll be able to come back. Just come along with us quietly. Don't break anything. Just stop screaming. Come on, get up off the floor. We're going to go to Chuck E. Cheese's next Thursday." This is the best I can. This strategy. They've been trying this strategy since 2015. So, I mean, uh, okay, I hear you. It could be that. It could be that. But again, but do you have to go that far? You know what I mean? Like when I'm working on that strategy with my toddler, it's not like, hey, we're going to go to Disney World with grandma next week. And then, and then instead, you know, we show up at the library, right? I mean, I, you sort of. You try to put the best spin you have on reality. I mean, yeah, they're, telling, them, they're telling them I'm going to support you in 2024. I mean, Josh Hawley's on the record. Yeah, so well, Steve, okay, he says that now. But, you know, Josh Hawley says lots of things. So, I mean, it's, okay. it's a little bit like toddler psychology if your toddler is holding a hand grenade. <laughs> like, <laughs> if your toddler's holding a hand grenade, I might promise Disneyland. You know? Yeah, yeah. See what I'm saying? It would, it would change your strategy if <laughs> toddler's holding the hand grenade and you see that he's just about to take the pin out so okay you, that's it, all right that's a good way, metaphor you, that, you, you sold me charlie what the conversation with bill barr is i mean this this moment we're in right now where everybody's turning on bill barr because he won't back the conspiracy theories and they're speculating that he might fire bill barr um they're speculating he might fire chris chris ray i, I by the way i would i would put even money that could, that uh, the FBI director Chris Ray is not going to make it till January twentieth because you know the toddler in chief just won't allow as soon as soon as Biden made it clear that he would keep him on would let him if he survives to January twentieth that Christopher Ray would be able to stay as FBI director I think that 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 really did put a target on on his back and that uh, that uh, Trump is not going to be able to help himself from firing. Well, speaking of weird things, this you see the story in the Daily Beast, Mike Pence backs away from the Trump re-election fraud train wreck. And then there's this anonymous quote, the vice president does not want to go down with this ship and believes much of the legal work has been unhelpful. What's with that? He's the you last one. the ticket, Robert. Mike. Take the ride. You're on. You're on the ship. You're on. You're on the ship. You know, like I. I don't. Uh, you're on the ship. You're going down with the ship. And I. Yeah. I, you know. I. I don't. I mean, it is insane, right? He's in there. I, I think that a lot of these senators, you know, get to live in this sort of world where they. They genuinely. I mean, it's a shtick that they don't read the tweets, but they genuinely, genuinely try not to. You know what I mean? I think that a lot of these guys, like they're reading the Wall Street Journal ed, ed page as their information and they're getting briefed as necessary by their staffers. And like besides that, they're, you know, they're watching Fox, which puts it the nice sheen on this stuff. I, I just think that they're not getting the full crazy. And I, I don't Mike Pence is in there and he's getting, you know, the uncut powder. Well, yeah, he's, and he's so I think he, he might be seeing totally. just how nuts this stuff yeah. is. He's totally screwed, of course, if, if there's a 2024 campaign. So let's talk about some of the st stuff that we had in the bulwark uh, this week. Uh, we had uh, one of your ARVAT, uh, the Republican Voters Against Trump uh, stars, uh, named Mark Becker, who was the former chairman of the Republican Party of Brown County here in Wisconsin, which is a key county. I mean, this is uh, this is Green Bay. It's always been a swing county. And he became a Republican voter against Trump. And then 
um, wrote a piece for The Bulwark where he talks about a phone call he had with uh, our uh, good friend Ron Johnson, uh, Senator Ron Johnson, who basically tells uh, Mark, uh, yeah, I know Biden won, but I can't say so because that would be political suicide. And yeah, Trump's an asshole, but he's accomplished a lot of all of this. And this this got a lot of attention. Um, I, I see that uh, Johnson's, uh, you know, pushed back, um, you know, that, that in fact, well, I've been totally consistent in my public and private statements and labeled the article a political hit piece. Uh, no, apparently he hasn't been that consistent. In yeah. He deserved to get hit. I, I said when Mark sent that to me afterwards, I said, yeah, it was a political hit piece. He did, you deserve to get hit. You were getting hit yeah. for your political hypocrisy and shamelessness and lies. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I, I think good on Mark. I mean, for me, my big takeaway from this is, how many conversations like this have been had the last three weeks? Thousands? Yeah. And honestly, thousands mm-hmm. with Republican elected officials who are publicly doing the doing the fraud two-step and privately saying, okay, we just got to survive this two more months. You know, we kept the Senate. Good news. Like, let's just, let's just, you know, so we can do this. Like, that's what's, that's what most of these guys are saying. I mean, I, we are, you see, you know, some of them are, are kooks. Like I think Rand Paul has gone all the way in on the on the fraud, trutherism, and the massive dumps being illegal, and all this all this stuff. But um, uh, most of these guys, I, I think, know the truth. But again, they're using the to- toddler psychology, and they don't want to say it. They know it's it, it is going to hurt them politically. They see, you know, their Twitter mentions, and it's all filled with like MAGA hat people saying, "Why aren't you fighting harder?" And so, oh, if anything, they're thinking yeah. about that. Should they be doing what Ted Cruz did and putting out just unconscionably, just pathetic press releases like he did, calling on the Pennsylvania oh Supr- Pennsylvania election to be overturned, seven million voters to be disenfranchised. Yeah. So, so anyway, that I mean, that's my thing. Is that good on Mark? And and the reason why I think it resonated is because everybody knows it's that this is the case, and you know, people are desperate and thirsting for just being told the truth. Right. And, and like, stop with this BS cosplay and and just, you know, own it, like own Linwood, own all the craziness, own the drunk lady in Michigan. Pretend like you really think that tow trucks worth of, you know, hundreds of thousands of ballots came in the dead of night, you know, or North Korean ships came yeah. in with them. Didn't they? Isn't Roger Stone saying that North Korean ships brought in ballots? Speaking of the drunk woman in Michigan, before we get to all of this, so I, I got a, um, a text last night from a prominent uh, Wisconsin Republican who said basically that, that, that Trump has broken people's brains. <laughs> Just talking about the, the kinds of communications he's getting with people and how impossible it is to reason with people. They because, used to say you know, that about us, by the way, Charlie. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just, you know, throwing out all of this, the irregularities and, you know, and, and you know, suspicion, everything. Remember but TDS? It, Remember TDS? We were the ones that were turned into deranged over Trump. Yeah, we, I guess. we, we were the ones. Mm-hmm. Well, see, that's one of the things I kind of like about the what's, what's happening now is that even the Trumpists are looking and going, those people are really crazy. Wait. This is what we thought about you back then. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the drunk woman in Michigan, for people, I, I don't know whether people have spent much time watching these incredibly bizarre, often hilarious hearings that Rudy Giuliani is putting on, where he continues to come up with no actual real evidence. But it, they do seem like Saturday Night Live skits. And this one woman who's gone viral named Melissa Carone, who 
I think that her main qualification was that she was trained like as one day as a contractor and then went into uh, in, in, in Michigan to be a, you know, ballot watcher or whatever she would. But I don't know whatever she was she was doing. But um, do, do we have the audio of this, uh, Jim? Um, Melissa Carone, who is sitting next to Rudy Giuliani, talking to Michigan legislators. And and I'm sorry, the universal consensus is that. She's like, you know, smashed out of her mind. And here, here, here's here's the way it went. The, the poll book, the poll book is completely off, completely off. Off that 30,000. I'd say that poll book is off by over 100,000. <laughs> that how- poll book. Why don't you look at the registered voters on there? How many registered voters are on there? Did you do you even know the answer to that? So, no, I guess it's, I'm trying to get to the bottom zero. of this here. Zero. There's zero. So my question then is if the Guess how many wait. What about what about how what what about the turnout rate? A hundred and twenty percent? Let's uh, let's let Representative Johnson ask his question. <laughs> so the poll book number okay, there there's two things that could happen here. Either the poll book number if, if ballots were called multiple multiple times, there, there's two options. Option number one is that the poll book numbers are not going to match. They the, don't. The actual. Not by thousands and thousands of votes. That's not what we see right now. You that, take a look again. One. Take a look again. Option number two is that they essentially were, were filling in names of people who didn't vote. That, Dead that, people, too? So is that, Let's I guess, let is that Representative your Representative Johnson ask his question, and then when I he's done. I thought that was his answer. Okay. Well, I guess uh, that, that's well, my, my question here is why we're not seeing the poll book off by 30,000 votes. That, that's not the what case. What did you guys do? Take it and uh, do something crazy to it? <laughs> I'm just saying the numbers are not off by 30,000 votes. So I know what I saw. That they're filling in? I know what things? I saw. And I signed something saying that if I'm wrong, I can go to prison. Okay. Did you? Okay, we're... <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, somebody was saying we need to get Kate McKinnon to play her. No, you can't do it any better than that. <laughs> Get her, and and yet here get we are her. in America in December. Can we get her on the pod, Jim? I think. Can we track her down? I feel like yeah. we should get her. Get her late in the day. <laughs> but here we are, you know, in December 2020, and the American political dialogue includes this because we have this crazy ass conspiracy theorist president. Okay, this is just more. really quick, Charlie. Just really quick, yeah. just on this, like this is the. I mean, it's funny, and I and I just want to enjoy the humor. But but the reason, the only reason why this is happening is because everybody is playing this massive nationwide game of pretend that yeah. there might possibly be some fraud. And this guy, this Republican guy who I have no sympathy for, who's trying to ask her questions, is trying to lead her to water and trying to like come up with how can I make the most plausible, you know, open the door to the most plausible possibility that there might be some fraud here and, you know, trying to be rational about it. And it's like, sorry, buddy, you bought the ticket, take the ride. You're with this lady. You know, it's just like hundreds of thousands of dead people. You know, you just got to you got to either roll with it or or come clean right like this the the whole uh the the machinations of you know these people that are trying to put the intellectual sheen on this um is really um it's i, I take a little bit of pleasure in, in, in watching that some masochistic pleasure 
Well, you, you had a tweet earlier this week. You said, you know, it, it's rare in life when you are proved so definitively right. I think it was after the right. yeah, after the president himself tweeted out that, you know, an attack on the governor of Georgia saying we just cancel the election because we don't need it because we'll we will win. It's like, OK, the president of the United States is talking about canceling elections. You know, if you and I would have even speculated about this a year ago, people would have thought, well, now that's real derangement syndrome. Yeah. Right. I mean, we would have had the smart people write columns about, OK, you know, we, we don't need this sort of hysterical overstatement. Nothing bad is happening here. The and even now, never Charlie, they're saying, don't worry about it. Are the institutions held? It's just like, could you imagine what these people would have said had Barack Obama been doing this? It's just like this is this is so far outside what was imaginable as acceptable yeah. behavior from a president. Anyway, it's just it's 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 infuriating. Okay, this is this is now a a, a good segue from the fun stuff uh, to uh, Gabriel Sterling yesterday. Gabriel Sterling being the uh, one of the one of the elections officials in the Secretary of State's office in Georgia. Who uh, by now everybody I think knows who he is or what he said. He came out and gave this really impassioned speech to about the, the this has got to stop. People are going to die. Um, these death threats have gotten out of hand. Calls out the president. Calls out the senators in Georgia for not condemning all of this and, and basically says, look, this is dangerous. You know, you're attacking our democracy, but you also you're attacking the people who make the elections work. Um, this could lead to terrible things. The president's response to that, of course, was to double down on the crazy, to engage in exactly the kind of rhetoric that Gabriel Sterling was saying was putting lives in danger. Um, so let's talk about this, because I, I know that you guys uh, on the Next Level podcast had a debate about all of this. Gabriel Sterling is a Republican. He is a conservative Republican. He sounds like he voted for Donald Trump. He says that he intends to vote for Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. So is it safe to say there are some people who think, screw that guy? No. Yeah, that's the JVL take, um, which is just like, I, I, okay, yeah, great, pal. Like now, now that this has come to your backyard, you're worried about this. The rest of us have been dealing with this for five years. Where you been? Yeah. Um, and and you're still going to vote for Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue, who are spreading all the same things you decry. So, I mean, that was basically his take. And I, by the way, I'm sympathetic so what your, to that. What was take. your take on that? Yeah, I'm sympathetic to that take. Uh, I, I, I also don't, you know, think that, that, you know, we should put Gabriel Sterling on Mount Rushmore or anything like that. But at the same time, it's like somebody's got to do it. Yeah. There's just this craving for people to, to speak out and say clearly enough. And it's just, you know, since Jay Nordling had a good, that's that tweet about this, which is like, has, have any of the Trumpers since the election come out and said, you know what, the, the guys, the, the never Trumpers really had it right on this. Like, this is just too far. Like, you know, they've, some of them have said, this is bad what he's doing, but have any of them taken the next logical step and said enough. And, and so, you know, it falls to a staffer for the, a mid-level, you know, elected official in Georgia to just come out and say what, you know, freaking Ben Sass should be saying, what Liz, you know, what, who, what Kevin McCarthy should be, what Mitch McConnell should be saying, right? Which is like, enough of this, like enough. Okay, so and, I, and so, you know, yeah. uh, good for him, I guess. Give, you know, I, 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 I think so too. But I'm, again, I understand, I understand the argument, especially, you know, for those of us who've been yelling about this for the last five years, 
that you have a lot of these folks who did not seem to object when Trump was, you know, inciting violence against uh, protesters, yeah. was making up stories, was uh, leading the chance of locker up or, you know, talking about beating people up or, you know, send her back or all of those things. They, they didn't have anything to say about that. But when it was them, that's when they became upset. On the other hand, okay. You know, what it comes down to is if we're actually going to save this democracy, if, if the institutions are going to hold, it is going to require people like Gabriel Sterling and and uh, and Raffensperger and Governor Ducey and Governor Kemp and however much you dislike their politics in the past. If they don't do the right thing, then horrible things are going to happen. So if we're going to turn this around, it is going to mean that people who have been wrong are willing to stand up, wrong on, on their on their politics, are willing to stand up and say, OK, you know, yeah, <clears throat> we voted for these people, but we're not going to cross this line. So yeah, and I know, just just a little thought experiment on this, Charlie. Well, I want give to, them want about, talk about a shoot of hope though, that a Gabe Sterling would come out and say, OK, enough of enough of this. Right. Yeah. And this is my thought experiment on this, Charlie. It's just like. If 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 this election had been closer, you know, we've all been saying this, if this election had been closer, this would have been a real danger that Trump would have taken it over. And if you look at the behavior of Raffensperger and Ducey, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel pretty confident that they were going to hold the line on what was true, no matter what happened. And then if you compare it to those jokers from the Michigan state legislature, yeah. you know, do you have any confidence like had this? I mean, Michigan ended up not being close. Like, you know, Trump lost by 150,000 votes. Had Michigan been a 5,000 vote margin, do you have any confidence that they wouldn't have either, you know, found some phony fraud claims that the state legislature wouldn't have over, you know, sent in a different slate of electors? I mean, I just, I think that 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 this was needed, like that that people... That, that, that people stood up and just said, I'm going to follow the law here and, you know, we're going to do the right thing here. And and sadly, you know, the president and the United States Senate and Congress have put these guys in this position. And so, uh, you know, good on the people that, that have done it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is worth remembering how terrifying the alternative would be. So here in Wisconsin, there are these various lawsuits that are asking the Wisconsin State Supreme Court to throw out the election, uh, throw out hundreds of thousands of, of votes, and essentially let the legislature send Trump electors. This is not going to happen because, and I'm, I'm, I am somewhat more optimistic about that, because even the conservative justices aren't going to go that far. Even the uh, the Republicans who run the legislature, who have their own level of arrogance are not willing to go that far. If you flip it around and imagine if this had been closer or this had been decisive um, and imagine what a world would be like where the legislators didn't have those qualms, where the secretaries of state were willing to defy the law, where uh, judges were willing to say, okay, we found some bizarre technicality that we've never uh, enforced before. And we're going to use that to disenfranchise hundreds of thousands of voters then you're in a real nightmare scenario. So there's got to be some, I think, gratitude for the people who are doing the right thing. Doesn't mean you throw them a parade. What was Jim Swift's line? Don't make them the grand marshal, but at least give them a tasteful float yeah. in the parade. Yeah. 
you know, okay. Now, speaking of other things that are actually happening in the in the in the world here, um, I have no idea whether they're going to come up with a new stimulus package, uh, whether they're going to compromise. But I think it's going to be an interesting test case about uh, about Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, who of course famously just decided that he was going to make uh, Barack Obama a one term president, failed at that, but managed to slow everything down. Um, I do think it's interesting that you have this centrist coalition which has come up with a compromise plan. Uh, so the the economy doesn't fall off the cliff. The only thing that seems to stand uh, in its way is whether Mitch McConnell just basically wants to let it all burn down. So I I don't know whether you have any any feel for all of that. Um, I am as usual not that optimistic about uh, their ability to get this done, but I think it's going to be an interesting indicator of what the politics of twenty twenty one is going to look like. Yeah. I don't I don't see a ton of evidence that they're gonna get a ton of lame duck. I mean maybe maybe McConnell decides, I guess, that it is that that he wants to not let Biden get credit for anything, right? And so it's better to, you know, cut a deal now. Um, I think that's the only logical um, argument I could see for for McConnell pushing it through now, but I, he's got big parts of his caucus and I, who knows what Mitch actually thinks in the in the depths of his black heart, but like he's got people in the caucus who, who are ready now to go back to austerity and pretending to care about a debt and all that, and who aren't going to support this no matter what. Um, and who think that, you know, the only thing to do to fix the economy is open everything up and let everybody die. I mean, I, there's a decent minority of the Senate caucus or Senate Republican caucus. That that's their view now. Um, so to get it done, it does really have to be, you know, get, get up, get bipartisan votes. And, you know, just isn't going to be something that Trump is is you know besides an errant tweet now and then pushing for. So, um, I I think that like the the energy is against it unless Mitch really really decides it's in his political interests to do it for the January fifth runoff and this, this, to do, and to not right. give Biden a win. Yeah, this 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 sounds right to me. Um, what about the president's threats to veto the defense bill over number one, um, the, the the renaming of the Confederate uh, forts, and uh, number two, uh, his his demand that Section Two Thirty, which has nothing to do with defense at all, uh, be repealed? That's not going to happen. If if Donald Trump actually did veto the defense authorization bill. My gut sense says that that the Congress would say, "Screw it, we're going to override the veto." Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I, I think that that's right. I, I don't. Uh, um, I mean, is he real? It's just hard to know, like what he really, you know, what's going. On. And he hasn't done. You know, he's had a lot of threats. There's been a lot of empty threats. You know, over the last four years, it's like really, this is going to be his moment to do a veto over like the fact that he's his feelings are hurt about like Twitter trends being Fat Don or whatever it was, like Diaper Don. I mean, I don't, maybe, uh, you know, it's to your point about how this is the most dangerous, you know, period. It's like, like, I I just, I I think that there are things that you can predict about what Donald Trump's going to do. He's going to be a man child and whine and complain and send tweets. And then there's that next layer out of, you know, more outlandish acting out. And, you know, you know, he's going to threaten to do all that. But but I just I think at this point, it's an open question how much of that when it comes to firing Ray and the attorney general and actually vetoing military funding. And if he really does think he's going to run in 2024, is he really going to veto? You know, well, it, that's, it just the, feels. that's the interesting thing that that's the big question, because you know that he wants to self pardon or he wants to pardon um, Rudy Giuliani, or he wants to pardon his kids. 
Um, but he's got to sit down at some point and go, okay, do I want to do that? Um, you know, I can, I can, I can leave all kinds of bombs behind, but what does that mean for 2024? Oh, Hey, I almost forgot you had this uh, big story. The biggest story in the bulwark this week about, uh, one of, one of Trump's crack uh, lawyers, Joe DeGeneva going on Newsmax and suggesting that, uh, former cybersecurity chief Chris Krebs be taken out and shot. Um, you were just like watching Newsmax because you're a masochist and you're watching that. And, uh, well, and you were I, the only reporter in America to pick up the fact that DeGeneva was. Going I was. For the- I was. Had I not been hate watching Newsmax, nobody would have noticed that the president's That's lawyer so threatened execution on uh, uh, a whistleblower, somebody who spoke out um, and a public servant who just spoke out and said the truth about our elections. Um yeah, I, I look, and this is how, how uh, and and I've got two things in this, just about how crazy our times are and how our news environment is, and and you know, one thing I think we can try to be at the bulwark, and that I try to have as my north star is like, is I, I we are not constrained by the conventions of the media, right? Where you feel like you got to cover whatever the news is that day and you got to show, well, you know, give the Trump side a fair shake and blah, blah, blah. Like we're not, we're not constrained by that. Like we can just look at this with, I think a little bit more clear eyes about what's happening. And, and there are some stories that, that are just so crazy, but because they see, they live in this kind of uncanny valley where they seem so crazy or ridiculous, like the mainstream media occasionally will just ignore them. And I think that's true about that was true about this DeGeneva thing. Uh, you know, people are not they, the for whatever reason, even though he's he's a lawyer for the president of the United States, the mainstream outlets do not have a beat for following this. They don't have a reporter sitting around following all the crazy things that Rudy is saying. Uh, and so stuff like this gets missed. I mean, in the before times, if a lawyer for the president of the United States threatened execution on a political foe. I mean, that would have been massive front page news for, you for weeks, so. right? You know, there would have been hearings. But now that stuff just gets, oh, it's just crazy Joe. And the same thing is happening about this Michael Flynn letter, which I just think we should talk mm. about before we stop this. It's yeah, like, please. You know, Michael yeah. Flynn tweets and signs on to this letter that calls, along with Sidney uh, Powell and, and Lynn Wood and other, and another, uh, I'm blanking on the other name, but another retired, um, mm-hmm. I think, Lieutenant Colonel, um, JVL wrote about him yesterday. Uh, in the triad, if you want to go find that, and um, also not, yeah. these guys are calling for a temper, a, a, a martial law, and a temporary, um, uh, you know, break from following constitutional order, um, in order to silence the media, silence big tech companies who are spreading what they say is disinformation about the fact that they've seen the truth about this fraud. And and execute a, a coup to keep Donald Trump in power. And this bring was the Donald military, Trump's national security and bring, advisor. And, and bring the military in to conduct the election. So yeah. I mean, a, re- it, a re-election is that what they called for? A re-election, a re- re-vote. So here's the thing about Mike Flynn, who you know, retired general, used to be the national security advisor. He's either being rational or irrational. If he's being irrational, he's just a nut. If he's being rational, it's pure fascism conscious fascism that he's talking about. And I understand that that's an extreme word, but what else do you call basically suspending the constitution, declaring martial law and bringing active duty military in to replace civilians in conducting an election? <laughs> Seriously. Belarus. So he's, he's either, yes. So he's either of sound mind and body, in which case he's gone full fascist authoritarian, 
or he's lost his mind and it's and it's pure insanity. Um, I'm not God sure what, what, what's the, actually scarier. Thank you know? God for that investigation. I mean, thank God that Michael Flynn was pushed out of the White House at the beginning. I mean, can you imagine like, having the most influential national security advisor to the president being this crackpot who was on the take from Turkey and who's now calling for a military coup? I, I don't know. I just, again, this is like where you, where you see this and like imagine what would be happening in another country. You know, if during the lame duck period in in germany like the top military liaison to angela merkel was was saying that we they, they should call martial law and have a crackdown and stay in power uh, he'd be pretty nervous about what was going on in germany um so i mean i think that well, we have a sense here being here of knowing that this is like really in the realm of crackpotville and to execute a coup like this you know you need like other military leaders who like you which michael flynn and donald trump have not done a very good job of cultivating but um uh, you know, I mean, that should be like there is no precedent. There is no comparison. It's not like you can say, like, oh, remember the time that, you know, Susan, Susan Rice, you know, called for instituting a military coup after she left. Uh, you know, there aren't examples of past national security advisors, George Schultz, you know, doing stuff like that. I, this is uh, this is well, completely- yeah, and, you, and you know. Well, also, you know that we could be five minutes away from the president retweeting something yeah. like that I and mean, that he could that he could do that. Look, the rest of the world is watching this. I know that that's a, that's a cliche. But, uh, you know, the, the reality is, is that people in, in Denmark and Belgium and Belarus um, pay way more attention to American politics than we pay to their politics. They know the, how the Electoral College works. They know the ups and downs. I'm sure you get calls from reporters around the world. And it's always amazing the granular level of their knowledge. So they are the whole world is watching America melt down in this particular way. So for, you know, the, 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 the happy talk about how, well, our institutions proved to be resilient. We sent a massive message about how fragile everything was here and what hypocrites we are when we lecture the rest of the world about how to run elections when we have a president and a, and a, and a Republican Party that's behaved the way that it does. And, and by the way. The fact that overwhelmingly Republicans don't think this is a, this is a legitimate election is not a sign of of success. I, I keep coming back to this analogy that you know we are the ship of state. We're we're still sailing along, and so you know the the two uh, cool for school kids are writing the piece about hey there was nothing to worry about when in fact a little while back a you know massive torpedo below the waterline hit us and we don't realize how much water we're taking in and we're going to start listing in a few minutes that we don't really know how deep the damage of this is so i mean the, the, the mike flynn stuff it it's again it is so bizarre that you have the president's lawyers calling for people to be killed. Okay, so it's a little fallout from your story about Joe yeah. DeGeneva. You saw that today that um, he's resigning under pressure from the elite gridiron club after an uproar over his comments suggesting a former government official should be executed. Now, you know what my main question was about that? The Joe, Joe DeVent. Why was he in the gridiron club in the first yes! place? Yes. <laughs> Why was Joe DeGeneva in the gridiron club? What kind of standards do those guys have? I, isn't that just kind of thing where you can just you just know somebody and pay the bills? I don't know. I never, despite you know being told on the internet by the Trumpers that I was, uh, you know, I'm just all in this for the Georgetown cocktail parties. I'm not really, I'm not really in that scene, so I don't have a well, lot of a special insight to give you on how you get into the Gridiron Club. Well, well now this is cool because here's the local angle because okay. you know that I can always work Wisconsin in I any do. conversation. Okay, so the Washington Post story this morning. 
quote quotes the the uh, uh, the president of the club. We were dismayed by his comments. We felt that they were on the top of everything else, just about antithetical to the, what the club is about, said club president Craig Gilbert, the Washington bureau chief for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. <laughs> it's a social club. We're all about fellowship and goodwill. So apparently um, they're, they're not about actually taking um, your political enemies out and drawing and quartering them and having them shot at dawn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, having all these clubs broken down though by the time, like, how can you have goodwill with these people? You know what I mean? I, I just, I think that is another, uh, you know, the the just the bad faith and and the fact that like here's here's why we had to break the Joe DeGeneva story, Charlie, is because things like this, maybe not exactly threatening people to be shot at dawn, but like crazy like this, you know, bad faith, you know, very disgusting attacks. On, on opponents is just standard fare now in Trump's Washington. Yeah. It just is. And so without, you know, being all like, oh, we need comedy and norms, like, you know, it has just broken institutions such as this. Like, who who could you have? Like, who do you want to have in the Gridiron Club from this crowd? You know, do you want Kellyanne to come in there? I, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's Kellyanne all, they're all, they're all yeah. just liars. And so it's like, how can, how can you, um, Deal with this, okay. and they're all they, none. None of them are speaking out about Joe DeGeneva. So yeah. I mean, that's just where we've landed, unfortunately. So w- one one last comment about this whole, you know, this rhetoric of violence and and, and the and the danger. Yeah. Um. I I remain extremely concerned about it. Number one, because there's lots of crazy people with guns out there who feel that they have a a, a Second Amendment right to show up at say the Michigan State Capitol uh, and use their their semi-automatic weapons to bully and intimidate people. So what could possibly go wrong? But the thing I'm really worried about is, you know, in social media, right wing social media. Now, this is going to come as a surprise to some of our listeners. There are people who right now still think that Donald Trump is going to be president on January 21st, that when it becomes clear that he is has lost this election, they're going to be shocked by this. So we haven't really totally absorbed the people who are the deepest into the fever swamps have no idea the fact that it is completely over, that it's a joke, um, the stuff that we've been talking about here. And it will come as as a they will be gobsmacked by it. And who knows how they will react when they realize that that this coup yeah. has taken place, that the traitorous communist Chinese, North Koreans, Venezuelans, Marxist, socialist, corporate liberals, whatever, um, have have taken away their president. Um, they're really going to be very unhappy. Yeah, and it only takes a couple. You know, that's the thing. Right. It only takes a couple of them. And so I, the reason why I, I was watching Newsmax, I'm, I've got another thing for tomorrow that's just a broader, you know, look at, at, at what Newsmax is feeding these people. And it's, and yeah, it's hope after hope after hope. You know, it's like, well, if the state legislatures don't overturn it, if the Supreme Court doesn't overturn it, Congress can overturn yeah, it. Yeah, right. You know, so they it's going to go. happen. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so, you know, there there is, you know, until the moment that Joe Biden walks in there, you know, there is going to be this sense of hope. And, and I, you know, like you said, I, I think that it's, it's very reasonable to be concerned that one or a handful of these folks, you know, could feel like, they need to take things into their own hands and be a mini Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah, and five and five minutes ago, responsible leaders understood their responsibility not to feed the beast, not to pour the kerosene, you know, on the uh, on the dynamite here. But uh, I don't know. That seems like a different century. So started off trying to be hopeful and everything, and and here we are. 
I'm again, here to bring the bleak, Charlie. You you just remember the difference between hope and optimism. Optimism and hope are not the same thing. Hope requires courage, and we are nothing if not courageous at the bulwark. Tim Miller, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Charlie. Talk soon. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again.